It was New York City in the late 1960s, and WBAI Radio was in the middle of a fundraiser. Wait a let me let me tell uh, the people who you are for just a second. You can tune up for the next song. That is really Jelly Roll Joel and his Jug Stompers. Go. Playing in that jug band, that's Joel Zimmer. about 17 or 18 years old, growing up on Long Island, and he was a real card. In fact, his old bandmates say he was the comic center of their jug band. This was just so Joel, this music, this band, that lively sound. Forty years later, Joel was on the dance floor with his Zydeco dance partner when he asked her to feel what he thought was a swollen gland underneath his ear. I was a little nervous. Just watch, I have a swollen lymph node. <clears throat> I thought, well, maybe I have a tooth problem. I went to my dentist. And he said, no, there was no problem with my teeth. Joel's voice wasn't always that raspy, and it gets better as we go along. After Joel felt the lump and conferred with more doctors, he agreed to let me follow him around with my tape recorder because that's what I do. My name is Carol Zimmer, and this is Silent Cancer for Offscript Health. I'm a reporter and a longtime journalist. I filed stories about the Taliban, the war in Bosnia, and a garbage strike in New York City. But I'd never done a story on someone in my family before. It's rare that you get to be in someone's life and record what's happening to them in a crisis unless you're a good friend or relative. Joel is my brother-in-law. Here's a toast to our wonderful Joel, who'll do anything to get out of paying the check. That's Mim at Thanksgiving. She's Joel's mother. We'd all gone out to a restaurant to dinner, but Joel wasn't feeling well enough to come. He'd been diagnosed with back-of-the-tongue and tonsil cancer in late September 2008, right after he'd felt that lump in his neck on the dance floor. And this dinner was only a few weeks after his first surgery and chemo. You can hear the effects in Joel's voice as he gives us this update. Now we're back to the show here, Carol. And I'm back on the dance floor. I was Zyaco dancing last night. I'm working three days a week, about six hours a day. And, uh, well, I'm not up for bowling yet. (laughs) So that's Joel. Zydeco dancing through the scariest time in his life, trying to manage a crisis that had appeared out of nowhere. Any more questions? He's chatting with his older brother, Steve, he's my husband, and his nephews trying to make light of his recent surgery. <coughs> how many staples do I have? How many, how many staples do I have, Steve? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 40, 41, 42. Only 42 staples, everywhere in the perfect place. The staples in Joel's neck might have been perfectly placed, but the situation Joel was facing was far from ideal. 
The cancer that Joel was diagnosed with, back of the tongue and tonsil cancer, is related to the human papilloma, or HPV virus. Usually, when people hear HPV and cancer, they think cervical cancer, and that makes sense. Cervical cancer was the first kind of cancer linked to HPV. After a huge global push to bring the numbers down, the CDC reports that the number of cervical cancer cases has declined in the last 40 years, largely because of pap smears that can detect precancerous cells. But that hasn't been the case for oropharyngeal cancers, cancers of the head and neck, which include Joel's tongue and tonsil cancer. According to the most recent CDC data, there are now more cases of these head and neck cancers in men caused by the HPV virus than there are cases of cervical cancers of women in the U.S. So we're in the middle of an epidemic. That's Dr. Roger Cohn. He's a professor of medicine at the hospital of the University of Pennsylvania and Joel's oncologist. The HPV virus um, is not new. It's been around for a while and pretty much all sexually active humans are believed to have been at least exposed um, to the virus. Cohn refers to it as the virus, like most people. But really, it's not one virus. There are about a hundred different types of human papillomavirus. Men are spreading it to women, women are spreading it to men. Um, but both men and women can be carriers of this virus into their adult lives. For the most part, our bodies fight off the virus. But there are a few strains of HPV that actually cause cancer. Back in 2006, when the HPV vaccine came out, the medical community knew that some types of HPV caused cervical cancer. But they hadn't yet made the connection between HPV and head and neck cancers. In the last 20 years, doctors mostly associated those kinds of cancers with smoking cigarettes. Not anymore. So here I am. This is Sunday, sitting in the front yard in the sun. Dr. Weinstein was very hopeful. He thought I had excellent prognosis because... I wasn't a smoker. Knew, you know, some marijuana in my younger days, but <clears throat> not a ridiculous amount. So he was very optimistic. In his younger days, Joel was something of a hippie. He sloshed around in the mud at Woodstock. He went to chiropractic school in South Carolina, where he raised roller pigeons in the backyard, the kind of birds that look like they're going to fall out of the sky when they start flying. He loved to look at the stars through his telescope, and he took up zydeco dancing as a hobby after he moved to Philadelphia. Now just do it in place first. Okay, so you don't have mine? Now just doing it in place. Just walk in place. And you start with your left foot. That's Joel teaching Steve and me to dance. One, two, one, two, four, five. After Joel was diagnosed, Steve and I began traveling on weekends from our home in Brooklyn to visit Joel. Joel's cancer turned out to be more involved than his doctors first thought. The cancer had spread to 10 lymph nodes by the time Joel had his first surgery. 
He spent a week in the hospital, went back for a second surgery, and had a feeding tube for six months. Joel's body was torn up from the surgeries. He wasn't as strong as he used to be, but he loved his work. Now, you can imagine that being a chiropractor is very physical, but he reduced his patient load and he just kept on working. Soon after the diagnosis, Joel's 83-year-old mother, Mim, moved from Florida to Philly to help take care of him. They hadn't lived together since Mim and her husband, Mike, were raising their kids on Long Island. She'd stay for a month in Philly, go home for a couple of weeks, come back, stay for another month. When Mim was in Philly, she cooked, cleaned, urged Joel to take it easy. Mother, uh, what? where is that cane? It should be on your bed. Okay, thanks. Joel, put the jacket on at at the end of your bed. Joel and Mim were close. Before the cancer, he called her every day. But of course, cancer changes everything. So is he argumentative? Very. (laughs) I can never just make a statement. There's always uh, a... uh, an answer to the statement that doesn't agree with me. I think because of all this and having to be taken care of, I think I get... Sucks. Yeah, it kind of sucks. I think I get a little short. And I apologize for any shortness that rubs you the wrong way. They bickered, like many mothers and grown children. Still, it wasn't easy for Joel to see her leave. Now I'm a little nervous about what's to come. You mean the treatment? Yeah, the radiation, the chemo. I'm just starting to eat now. Scary. Scary. And it's even scary mom being gone. Really? When it was time to say goodbye, Mim assured Joel she'd check in on him often. Yes, sir. We'll be on the phone uh, two or three times a day. Um, Did you take your milk yet? Did you take your can yet? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. Bye, Mama. Bye, Sonny. Over the next few months, Joel went through another course of chemo and radiation. Visitors came and went, but when he was alone, Joel just wanted to relax and take a break from reality. Sometimes at night I listen to the radio to fall asleep so I don't have to listen to my thoughts. And as I'm listening to sports talk radio, the ads come on for cancer centers. If it's not cancer centers, it's like... You know, it's the IRS coming after you, and everything, <laughs> you know. And uh, so then it's like, all right, then you turn the radio off, you know. So it's it's tough to get away from it, but you just, you know, you try to think positive and do whatever positive things I can do for myself, uh, and uh, hope for the best and prepare for the worst, you know? The disease also took an emotional toll on Joel. I I can't fall into panic. 
I gotta try to enjoy as best what I got. Like, I started feeling better this weekend. I had energy again. I was even dancing with you in the mm-hmm. in the living room. It was I was able to have fun. You know, I could either have a couple hours of fun or I could be uh, sitting there, you know, petrified about what the hell is going to, kind of misery I'm going to have next. He also couldn't stop thinking about his past. So I was sexually promiscuous, and I wasn't really thinking that somebody could get cancer from having sex. Of course, you don't even have to have had many sexual partners to get HPV. Doctors think Joel's cancer was HPV-related because 70% of head and neck cancers are caused by the virus. But they haven't yet developed any kind of test that would detect these types of cancers. Joel's oncologist, Dr. Roger Cohn. And that's one of the issues for the oropharyngeal cancers, the head and neck cancers that are caused by HPV is that we don't have, for the back of the throat, a parallel test to pap smears that we have for women. The HPV vaccine came along when Joel was already an adult, and with no screening, Joel's cancerous cells went undetected for years, which is true for many cases of HPV. Joel's 60th birthday party was smack in the middle of his cancer journey, and it was a high point. There in his backyard were about 40 people, many folks I'd never met, but that didn't surprise me. As you can probably tell by now, Joel made friends very easily. And of course, his entire family was there. Mim, Joel's two children, Joel's siblings, nieces, nephews, his girlfriend. We danced to the music of Johnny Ace, Joel's favorite Zydeco band. We ate and we toasted Joel, and he soaked it all up. Um, hello, Carol. So, so I want to give me, give me a statement on my. I finished 59 years and 352 days, and I'm glad to be here. I'm feeling like a human being again, and I hope to, you know, get maybe another 3,600 days. I'd be really happy. Um, and um, it's my birthday, we're having the best party in the world here today, we're having a potluck, I got my Zydeco band, my Zydeco cronies, my beloved closest family, and uh, we got a great day, sun's holding off, perfect temperature, we're going boogie. <laughs> you have a statement on your father's birthday? I love him. Do you have a statement on your father's birthday? Um, I don't know. Uh, I love you, Dad, and you're the best. Is that good? Zeke and Eli were teenagers when their dad was diagnosed with back of the tongue and tonsil cancer. Joel was so devoted to those kids. Zeke Zimmer to kick off for Laura Marion. He even went to Zeke's football games when he wasn't feeling well. That's how much he loved watching his kids on the field or in the gym. Joel was the type of fan who'd dance along with the marching band, but also remember every play his kids were involved in. It was part of his plan to carry on life as normally as possible. He continued to go to work and to take trips on his sailboat, 
those were some of the happiest moments. On one trip, when they were getting ready to go out on the Chesapeake Bay, I gave Steve my tape recorder, and I told him to have some fun with it. Hello, nation. <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> still walking amongst the living and sailing amongst the sailors. <clears throat> Where should we begin? Well, where are we now? This is a starship, Blue Heron. We're crossing the Chesapeake Bay, June the uh, 19th, 2011. And I am now uh, about two years and 10 months since uh, my throat cancer nightmare began. Which is uh, pretty good. A lot of people don't make it this long, but it could be better. Any questions? I do. I have two questions. Uh, one was, um, you know, I, we've we've been talking about work and you know whether it makes sense to keep working. When do you, you know, when do you, you know, is is it better to keep keep working or is it better to? to get that time and and uh, and have it really totally under your control doing exactly what you want. And the other is uh, is the boys, your boys. Where, you know, where do you feel like things are at in terms of the, you know, dealing with dealing yeah. with this? It's like on the one hand, yeah, it'd be nice to take all my retirement money and you know, go travel the world with uh, you know, the time I have and see everything I've wanted to see. On the other hand, I can't take my sons. They gotta go to school and do their thing. And I don't wanna be apart from them for too long. Joel was an adventurer, but he also found so much comfort in being around his family. His younger sister, Andrea, understood that Joel was a real people person. He opened his, his heart too. Some very unusual people. Andrea, a periodontist in Atlanta, is referring to receptionists who used to work in Joel's office. One dressed like a nun, though no one knew if she had ever actually taken her vows. The other wore a cowgirl outfit to work, though she lived in suburban Philly. If he met somebody and they were interesting and he was open, he was open to whatever uh, relationship he could have. Um, so yeah, I think he, you know, he brought people along on, on the fun, just like he did with me. When Joel was diagnosed, Andrea started researching head and neck cancers. Like so many people, she wanted to know how or when this had happened. It's tricky because HPV can lie dormant for years, then emerge producing cancerous cells. In fact, most of us will get HPV at some point in our lives. It's that common. Like if you've ever had sex before, you're likely to have been exposed to HPV. But most of the time, our bodies fight the virus and we never know it. But there are types of HPV that can cause six different kinds of cancer. Joel's oropharyngeal was one of them. 
The HPV vaccine came out in 2006, and it was shown to prevent many cancers linked to HPV, but it was only a few years ago that medical professionals confirmed that the vaccine is actually effective in preventing most head and neck cancers. I feel like I should be able to sort of tell the world about it somehow, and there's there's nothing you can do. All my friends are have teenagers, you know, who have a decision on this vaccine, and they had no idea that men, boys, can, can get cancer from this virus. Somehow I never thought of it as being a sexually transmitted cancer is what it really is, you know. Andrea had two teenage boys when Joel was diagnosed, and she arranged to have them vaccinated. Even though the vaccine has proved effective in preventing HPV-related cancers, many parents don't get it for their kids. A recent study showed that some are concerned about the safety of this vaccine. Another reason is that the HPV virus itself has to do with sex. People can't get past that this is sexually transmitted and they can't deal with that for themselves. They certainly can't deal with that for their kids. That's Dr. Ellen Daly. She's a professor and associate dean for research at the College for Public Health at the University of South Florida. Daly ran a women's health clinic in Florida when the vaccine came out. She says there are certain subjects people stay away from. Providers don't want to talk about that. And actually, patients don't want to talk about it. People just don't want to talk about sexuality and they're very uncomfortable with that. When the vaccine came out in 2006, the medical community was ecstatic. Daly says she and many others thought of it as a grand slam. You almost thought, wow, we're done, like our work is done. All this work that we've done on HPV and cervical cancer and now all these other cancers, you really thought there's this vaccine. This is fantastic. It was almost like a rocket taking off, she says, but... It just sort of bumped along and had lots of problems and never hit the rates that that we had hoped for. According to the NIH, in 2019, only about 55% of girls aged 13 to 15 had received two or three doses of the HPV vaccine. Daly says the vaccine would do better if we could get this message across. We really want to emphasize that it's a cancer prevention vaccine, so you could stay away from the STI discussion. If you could really focus on your vaccinating your child to help prevent them getting cancer later in their lives, that's one thing. The other thing is if you can normalize or destigmatize HPV being sexually transmitted, really need to take a, sort of a multi-pronged approach to start to improve this. On the campus of Boston University, producer Emma Seslowski asked some students what they know about HPV, the cancers it can cause, and the vaccine itself. Do you know what HPV is? No, I don't. You've never heard of HPV? No. <laughs> so HPV is the human papillomavirus. It can lie dormant, like you could have no idea that you have it. Also, it can manifest in like warts, but also can lead to cancer. Wow, I didn't know that something that I know so little about like as a college educated student that's pretty crazy I just feel uneducated man I feel like my health classes in high school failed me we're talking about HPV today do you know about HPV I do what do you think of when you hear about HPV that I'm glad I got the vaccine according to the CDC the vaccine can prevent up to 90 percent of HPV related cancers 
Getting that kind of vaccine to kids fuels hope in the cancer community. Medical professionals, researchers, lawmakers, loved ones, and parents. President Joe Biden has plenty of experience with cancer. His son Beau died of a non-HPV cancer. It was a malignant brain tumor. Biden says he knows all too well the physical and emotional toll the disease can take. You think of all the people who've gone through what your brother-in-law did, what my buddy has, what I have, who get up in the morning, they're by themselves, they put one foot in front of the other, they go out and do it. I had all this incredible support. I had all of family, this tight family to help me. And I think of all the poor bastards that just every day just get up and put one foot in front of the other and move and keep going. I mean, God. Biden has raised millions in what he calls a cancer moonshot project with the goal of curing the disease. To aid that push, he'd like to see scientists and drug companies collaborate and share their data. When Nixon declared the war on cancer, he meant it. But he had no army, he had no tools, he had no troops. There was no way to share data and information. But here we are, 50 years later, and we have so much more available, but the culture hasn't changed. For example, if we were just able to aggregate the data of all the cancer genomes that have been sequenced in one place, we have computers who can do a million billion calculations per second. We could find out patterns. Why does one drug work on your cancer and not on yours? Back when Nixon declared this, everybody thought there was one cancer that resided in different parts of the body. There's over 204 totally different cancers requiring different therapies. But they don't share their data. They're not culturally attuned to doing it. So the, the more there's out there that we're sharing information and not hoarding it, the quicker we can get to answers, and at minimum turning some cancers into chronic diseases and others into cures. In February 2022, President Joe Biden pledged a renewed effort to reduce the death rate from cancer by at least 50 percent over the next 25 years and to end cancer as we know it. All right, boys, we're leaving the Hudson, coming into the east, right on schedule. Captain keeps a tight schedule. It's July 2012. Joel, Steve, Eli, and other family members were on board the Blue Heron sailing from New Jersey to Long Island. The currents are tricky in those waters, and sometimes it's hard to tell exactly where you are. You couldn't get a better day to come through here. And here comes the Brooklyn Bridge. No, that'd be the Manhattan Bridge. See the Manhattan behind it now. Wait a second, I'm sorry. I, I was... I was... Wrong. That was wrong. <laughs> the first wrong. time in his life. We got him. We got him. Oh, we got him on tape. Now we're moving. It was four months after that sailing trip that Joel died. Steve inherited Joel's share in the Blue Heron, but decided to give it to Joel's other partners in the group that owned the boat. Still, Steve was sorry to lose his connection to the Blue Heron. Being out on the water reminded him of days spent laughing and arguing with Joel, like the time Joel nearly set the boat on fire when he insisted on making omelets down below because Joel was just too cheap to go to a restaurant on shore. Steve loves to remember them as a couple of brothers from Long Island having an adventure.
I'm Carol Zimmer for Allscript Health. Johnny. Pull, pull, pull. All right, now lock it in. 